Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. On today's episode, I am interviewing Graham Gibson. Uh, Graham is the Director of Cultural Engagement Studies at Masters College and Seminary, located in Peterborough, Ontario. And uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the, the whole idea of Canada as a mission field. Let's go now to my interview. Graham, it's really good to, to be here with you at uh, our alma mater, yeah. uh, Master's College and Seminary. And back in our day, it was Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. Yeah. And uh, what, what do you remember about uh, your first time showing up at, at this institution? Well, I was married one week before we got here. So wow. Both my wife and I came to be students at the same time, uh, married, and so we lived off campus. And that's a different experience because you really feel the challenge of trying to connect with students on campus who live in dorms together and you can't enter into their dorm space and you can't eat in the cafeteria, you can't bring outside food in and that sort of thing. Uh, And there was no common areas here for off-campus students. So it was a bit of a challenge, but we really started to connect with other people who are also couples on campus. Yeah, what was that like being newlyweds and studying full-time? Because, you know, post-secondary is not a cakewalk. No, no. Sitting around at night. No, well, see, when I was in high school, I don't think I wrote uh, an actual essay. Yeah, in my high, entire high school, <laughs> but my wife um, had been through two years of college, and she's brilliant, hmm. and I think I had a huge learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent a lot of evenings and weekends doing a lot of schoolwork, and uh, yeah, didn't have time for a lot of the social aspect of school that maybe other students had, but I, I did learn how to work hard. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what uh, really trained me. When when I came, um, the my home church back in Windsor, where my dad was pastor, it was uh, you know nineteen eighty, and and by that time, uh, at least at our church, there was uh, you know less of a dress code, and and <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you know, I came with a beard. Yeah, you came with a beard. I had a beard since I was sixteen, and I came with a beard, and the first thing I I showed up on campus, and this registrar comes up to me, young man, young man, you can't have a beard at school and register. (laughs) I said, I registered uh, through the mail or something and and I walked away from her, but I had to shave my beard off and I went into shock. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was stricter standards here. You couldn't wear jeans. So I didn't, I didn't own any dress clothes to speak of, Uh you know, I might have had like my, (laughs) my grade eight graduation suit or something, you know, but so, so I, before I came to college and, and read the dress code, I, I went to Byway. Oh yes, and uh, bought a bunch of dress shirts. Yes, um, it was No and, Value Village. Yeah, <laughs> No Value Village. But well, actually, there were thrift stores, and okay. uh, yeah. I went to um, uh, a yard sale, and uh, in Windsor, some. Uh, old man had passed away and so his wife was having a yard sale <laughs> oh dear and I bought um, a, uh, a little suitcase of ties 
Um, and and the ties that that was, it was nineteen eighty, so it was like coming into the narrow tie yeah. new wave kind of thing. Yeah. And I had these ties that were like oh, you know twelve yes. inches wide, I think. You know, and, and uh, every it's kind of color. clown ties. Can. And and my one of my grandpas um, had had uh, I'd been visiting him, and he had a bunch of really old bow ties. And and so uh, they're I, cool. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They weren't then, not then, but I no. made them cool. And <laughs> yes, uh, in fact, we had a band in, in Bible college we called the Bow Ties. Oh, and uh, so, anyways, yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of memories here. And yes, sir. Well, we were just kids. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was nineteen when I showed them. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, um, anyways, um, tell, take me back a little bit about uh, before. Before Bible college, before Linda, um, when talk about how you came to Jesus. Wow. Well, first thing is I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal pastor. Oh, so you came to Jesus four generations. Yeah, I, I go way back. <laughs> uh, no, my great grandfather came into Pentecost somewhere in 1917 or something in, hmm. in the Winnipeg area. Mm -hmm. He was a Methodist. Yeah. Bible Coldport sold Bibles. You know, had a horse cart and all of that. And I sort of fell into Pentecostalism and started pastoring and then moved to the Brantford area and started building relationships with Six Nations uh, Indigenous people there. But, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't pastor that. He just worked alongside. And so there's a history there I wasn't aware of at all. I grew up in a pastor's home with my dad being a pastor and my grandfather had. And I thought that's probably what I was going to end up doing too, and I resisted it. But when I was um, eight, we were just driving in a car somewhere as a family, and my mom and I were having a conversation, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to receive Christ in my life, and I said, yeah, I do. And it changed, you know, the direction of my life from that point on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to, when you talk to people that didn't have that childhood conversion experience. Yeah. Um, they they look at us like we're from another planet. Well, it's not everybody's story. <laughs> not everybody's no. story, but but I mean then and then you know learning to to walk with God and, and learning to navigate your life with God. Yeah, uh, yeah. I took it seriously. You, yeah. you know, you're still a kid. Yeah, you don't understand all of that, but it always meant something to me. So yeah. you know, I drifted a bit when I was in my teen years. Yeah. I had a a 73 Charger jacked up with mags and... <laughs> Bet you wish you still had it, eh? Yeah, first, <laughs> the only one that got kicked off Brayside Camp just because I drove in there and I had my thrush muffler and they didn't know who I was and my hair was long back then. <laughs> Whatever. But, you know, you, you drifted a little bit, but down underneath, you knew where you stood with God and it wasn't going to change. Yeah. And so that solidified when I was about... Uh, Going on 18, yeah. and I, I knew that God wasn't going to let me go, so I figured, okay, that's the direction my life is going to go. I always thought my brother would do it. He was two years older than me, mm -hmm. and he played the piano, and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I thought you had to do that to be a pastor. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, God got a hold of me. Yeah. Couldn't get away from it. Hmm. Yeah. So um, when, when you came here, uh, to, to Bible College. I lived in Peterborough off campus. Right. 
um, let's um, let's kind of walk through um, you know from the time you graduated here and uh, take me on a um, you know sort of the, uh, the, the 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 quick list of uh, yeah where you all the places you went and how and, and how many times you came back here oh my goodness Peterborough can't get away from this place yeah well okay came here uh, did three years of Bible schooling um, they only had three at the time yep. didn't have the BTH quite in place yet and uh, left here, went to Emmanuel Bible College and finished my BRE and then my BTH there mm -hmm. in Kitchener. And thought, okay, maybe I'm ready. And uh, nothing was opening up. And so when I was in high school, I never wanted to do any more schooling in the rest of my, for the rest of my life. I Me never either. wanted to do it. <laughs> and yet it's the only door God kept allowing to open. Mm -hmm. And other doors seemed like they were open and then bang, they slammed shut. And so I ended up going from Emmanuel Bible College to Tyndale, which was Ontario Theological Seminary at the time, and did my first master's degree there mm -hmm. in theology, and got hired by a church in Collingwood, hmm. at Parkway Pentecostal, and uh, was on uh, sort of the associate pastor for mm -hmm. a couple of years, mm -hmm. and finished my master's. I was almost finished, and they laid me off. Mm -hmm because there was a financial crisis in the church and they yeah. had to let me go. I didn't know what I was gonna do. There's, you know, everything was up, upside down. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, I had a chance to teach one course, a two week block course in Pickle Lake, which is uh, about seven hours north of Thunder Bay. Yeah. I've, I've Passed by Pickle Lake. I haven't. Have you? I didn't turn up the road and go there. Oh, okay. That's, that's a ways away. It's, it's up. Yeah. So it's, it was in a far north. And so I went up there to teach the course. Linda went with me. And about a week into it, uh, we realized once we arrived there that the person who was the principal of that is a school for indigenous peoples who want to be pastors. Mm -hmm. And. Um, uh, it was one week into it, and we just kind of looked at each other because the principal had uh, left before we got there. He arranged for us to come, and then he disappears. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're sitting in his house with like three pieces of furniture in the place and looking out over a lake in the middle of the bush. And we looked at each other and went, oh, no, <laughs> this is what God has. And uh, so they asked us to stay there. So we... I stayed as the principal for four years um, and the Native Bible College and came back to do more studies because I thought we don't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, people have been working with Indigenous people for a long time, Pentecostals have worked with them and I was watching how that school was set up and how it was being run and I said no we can't be doing this, this isn't going to work. Uh, it had so many elements of colonial mentality and stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't something I was particularly trained in. I just sensed this isn't right. Yeah. So we ended up coming back. And so long story, story short, did some training at Wilfrid Laurier and, and on and on. We can go back to that if you want to. Well, let's, let's stop at Pickle Lake for a minute. Yeah, okay. 
four years and uh, what was that late 80s by then? Uh, 87 to 91. 87 to 91. Yeah. So um, four years in Pickle Lake. You're you're a Southern Ontario guy for all your life. Never spent any real time with Indigenous people at all. Had yeah. very little preparation for that. So talk to me about how that changed you and oh like us. You know, how did yeah. four years in Pickle Lake uh, spending your time with Aboriginal doers? Right. You know what? what well, how did how did that mess you up? Okay. Well, first, let me say that I heard my grandfather singing songs in Cree because his father had worked with Indigenous people north of Winnipeg way, way back. And I didn't know any of that. I just heard him singing these songs and I thought, okay, what is that? And my father pastored in the Muskokas when I was a kid. And so in Huntsville, he took me out to someone's home, this, this gentleman who was Algonquin. And I saw him stretching the beaver pelt. And that's one of my, it's, it's my earliest memory of ever meeting someone who was indigenous. But I had no understanding of the culture at all because mm -hmm. there weren't any indigenous people I knew around living where we were. So mm -hmm. getting to Pickle Lake, I, I did some research myself, but it was you know, elementary. Getting there, um, I thought, I, the only way I'm going to do this is if I go in as a learner, not as an expert. Yeah. It doesn't matter what my education is. I don't know this. Yeah. And sitting there with students uh, who are not that much younger than me mm -hmm. and listening to their stories and hearing them talk about what it feels like to be in a, it, it was, um, the Bible school that they planted up in Pickle was outside of the white community. So they thought, well, they probably don't want to live amongst white people. So they put them on an edge of a lake uh, in the bush mm -hmm. and created this little campus with a bunch of log cabins and a couple of faculty homes, a, a little church building and a classroom. Yeah. So what does that feel like? Because white people thought that was the best solution. They'll love living in the bush. They didn't love living in the bush. Mm. Indigenous people lived with their community. Mm -hmm. Their community's not there. Yeah. They've got a bunch of white people who are staff of the college watching them 24-7. Mm. That's what started registering in my head. Yeah. I said, you know what? I know what it's like a little bit to be on the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong here. Yeah. We were observing them and training them to be good Anglo-Canadian pastors. Yeah. And that didn't sit well with me. And I listened to them and they said, a couple of individuals really opened up and they said, you know, it feels like we're in jail. Mm. And I, it took me a while to figure out what do they mean by that? But they meant they're being observed. They're being shaped, retrained. They're isolated from their community and their families. Mm -hmm. And they can't get back out without our help. I said, this can't, we got to change this. So I finally talked the, uh, the district people into shutting down that school, mm -hmm. moving it out of there and moving it to Sioux Lookout, which had 
significant indigenous population in town where they could choose where they live. They're yeah. not living with staff. They're not observed all the time. Yeah. And saying, you know what, we need an indigenous board that's in charge of the school so they start shaping what it should be like. Yeah. And that's when we started to indigenize that college. But uh, yeah, sitting with them, mm -hmm. spending time sh snowshoeing, uh, walking through the bush, uh, doing firewood together, mm -hmm. listening to them the whole time, it radically changed me. And I sat with some of their elders uh, from the churches, because uh, we oversaw churches all the way up to James Bay, Hudson Bay, and the entire northern scope of Ontario, mm -hmm. North Ontario from, right. from Lake Superior up. So we would go into these communities and I'd sit with the elders and say, so what does it feel like to have uh, white people in charge of the mission, mm -hmm. the work up here? Yeah. And what, do you, what are your concerns about your students who are down there in the Bible school? And when they would talk, I was surprised how open they would be. I thought, why, why are they talking to me like this? Because they don't know me that well. They started to, but I think they realized there was someone trying to listen. And that hadn't been the case for a long time. That, as my understanding, anyway. So I just listened mm -hmm. and realized by the end of four years there, not only did I need to get out and, and take some more training, formal training, on indigenous cultures, indigenous religions, and um, uh, not only did I need to do that, mm -hmm. but I needed to step away from being in charge. They didn't need me to come back and now take over with a new understanding of who they are. I needed to be replaced by them, mm -hmm. and I couldn't go back. That was hard, but I thought it was the only healthy way to go. And when I did that, they brought in another white person to run the Bible school. And within several years, it was gone. Yeah. They shut it down. Yeah. Because the indigenous board shut it down. Mm. Yeah. See? Yeah. So it, it really shifted not only my direction, but it shifted the entire sort of philosophy of missional work amongst indigenous people. And that's kind of the foundation that I bring to my teaching here i did go on to more education on that but um, i really really feel that if i hadn't had that experience living with and amongst and mm -hmm. listening to uh it, the indigenous students and the elders in the churches i don't think i'd be who i am today mm -hmm. i wouldn't be able to do what, what we get to do here It's, it's interesting, you know, the multi-generational aspect, you know, of uh, your grandfather, uh, you know, having ministry. Well, great-grandfather. Great-grandfather, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I didn't know that until yeah. I was in Pickle Lake. I didn't yeah. know any of that history. Yeah. The family didn't, didn't bother to talk about it. Yeah. But it must have instilled something in me, a sensitivity, maybe. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like those, those years really helped you to ask yourself the right questions or or for mm -hmm. God to be able to ask you, you know, examine your heart. Yeah, right? yeah, not, yeah. And not just your own heart, but um, 
the heart of the uh, the church culture that we come from. That's it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we grew up in a culture that was predominantly, well, dominated by Anglo-white yeah. male culture. I think what this did is it helped me uh, really grapple with. I, I'm not going to say I fully understand because I'm not yeah. indigenous. I'm not. I'm not female. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm not non-white. Yeah. Uh, but it helped me understand what the some of the issues and concerns are, and to hear their stories opens that up for someone who can't personally experience it. Yeah. To say, you know what? There's something here. Mm-hmm. There's something here that we've got to address in the Pentecostal assemblies, yeah. uh, in the like Southern culture, and all all that. Yeah. Yeah. So you went back to school? Yeah, I, and yeah, I did. Yeah. Run, run through, uh, we'll do a real, quick, quick, run real quick run through the schooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back from the north there to go to Wilfrid Laurier University and did an MA in religion and culture, mm-hmm. which is a combination of religious studies and uh, cultural anthropology. And I really liked that because it wasn't, they weren't segregated. It was recognizing that culture shapes a person's religious tradition. Mm -hmm. And that's actually okay. And what, it's not just that indigenous people need to get to do that with their Pentecostalism, but to recognize that us Anglo-Canadians did it too. Yeah. Right? And we aren't very self-reflective. We think what we've got is universal Christianity. Right. <laughs> exactly, right. And so um, that helped me not only understand how else it could look, but to critique my own. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and then um, went on from there to U of T to do PhD work in religious studies. And I was studying indigenous Pentecostalism. That's mm-hmm. what my dissertation was uh, was about. And uh, the name, the name of my dissertation was uh, Dancing in the Fire. Dancing in the Fire. Indigenous Pentecostals. Mm. And I studied camp meetings. Hmm. Indigenous camp meetings yeah. up in the north. And I w- yeah. went there and did my field research. I ended up, I w- sort of wrote my dissertation three times because my committee kept getting changed. And with a <laughs> new committee member in charge, uh, they wanted something different, and then I would rewrite it. And finally, I, I ended up withdrawing from the program, so I've got an all but defended mm. ABD. Mm. I didn't actually get the PhD on that. Yeah. Um, they were going to require me to take a year off to redo it again from teaching, and I said, I can't do that. Yeah. So I, I just stopped. But all the stuff I learned through the entire process. Uh, really feeds into what I get to do and teach and so mm. forth. So that's the summary of my education. So then, then how did you end up back here? Well, okay, so when I was doing my master's at um, Laurier, Paul Coles, who was running the mission program here at the college, called me and asked me if I would come and teach a course on developing indigenous leadership. And I just started that way. Uh, he asked me to be missionary in residence, which means I could teach a course on campus 
live locally and be a resource to people who were uh, students that were in the mission program so they could learn informally from me, just mm -hmm. lots of conversations. Mm -hmm. I started that way, so it was part-time in 1995, mm -hmm. and then Paul Coles took um, a two-year sabbatical, went to Ethiopia to help set up some training stuff over there, and I got to be in charge of the program here wow. from you know, for two years, and then they hired me full time from 2000 on. So I've been here for longer than all the other teachers right here. <laughs> and I'm the old guy. But uh, that's how we end up but back. But you still in got a boyish face. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Keep saying it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the beard hide, hides lots. Okay. Uh, but coming back to Peterborough to teach, and I was back here a few years, and then the college moves to Toronto. Right. We, in so you're part of that transition? Yeah, too. I'm full-time in 2000, 2003, I moved to Toronto, and 2010, I came back. Mm -hmm. So Peterborough, when I started Bible school, Peterborough, when I started teaching, Peterborough, again, after it comes back from Toronto, uh, yeah. the Toronto experiment wasn't as effective as they wanted it to be, and we came back to this campus, and uh, so that's three times. Yeah, there was still something good about the Toronto experiment that the, the concept of it. The concept it was good. The, I mean there was a lot of a lot of drama and a lot of yeah you yeah, know yeah, um, yeah. I struggles think but uh, but that idea that our students need to um, be in the culture, right? That's a good one. Yeah. Well I always said that Peterborough is a bit isolated yeah. from where a, a lot of cultural diversity. It's Peterborough's changed. Yeah. It's a lot different than it used to be. But I really wanted them to get as students to get into a context where there was all that much more multiculturalism and you could mm -hmm. not just go to different restaurants, but you could attend different churches, yeah. do internships and feel yeah. that in those contexts. And, yeah. and it's not just the ethnic diversity, it's the subcultures of mm -hmm. the urban mm -hmm. context, right? There's suburbs, there's the urban core, there's all kinds of little subcultural elements there that would be so rich for them yeah and, and so broad for a spectrum for students to choose uh, where to get experience and what they would like to do with their right. their calling right and I thought it was philosophically it was a great idea it just wasn't ex executed well and right so we end up back here but that's why I really started shifting the program here. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Coles left to go to uh, Kenya, Nairobi, uh, to run a, a doctoral programs and stuff there. And I took over the missions program here. And we changed it from being a missions program to being a cross-cultural studies program. Mm -hmm. You get the shift. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a problem. It's not us and them. Yeah. Now it's about how do I discover um, people that uh, I don't don't share much with? Yeah, yeah, they're in another yeah. frame of thinking. They the worldview could be different. Your traditions, their uh, values. Yes, yeah. yes, there's lots, yeah. lots of cultural difference, and this is where my anthropology yeah really starts coming through because I really appreciate the differences and what want that encouraged yeah. in the student body. Yeah. 
So we changed it from a mission program, which sounds like we don't need missionizing here in Canada. It sounds like it's elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The mentality of missions. And instead saying, let's just talk about being cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are going to be, if you're in the urban core, you still have to cross into someone else, else's cultural context when you simply start working with people who uh, are just different from you. Mm -hmm. they, you know, it doesn't have to be ethnic right. to be different. So that's where that started to shift. So with the students here, um, there are a couple uh, times... Uh, when when you get to uh, travel with students, uh, I, I know that downtown Toronto is what an hour and a half away, and, yeah. and uh, that there's something you do there, and then you guys also do a missions trip. You want to talk about those things? Yeah, yeah. Well, the idea of trips really was started by Lyman Kulathungam, yeah. who taught here years ago. Yeah. Uh, he taught ethics and world religions and. Mm -hmm philosophy, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And he started doing a trip where they visited different uh, religious sites in mm -hmm. Toronto. And I continue to this day doing it. I just took it over with from mm -hmm. him and it's really eye-opening for students. And I saw what it was doing one day getting to go to a mosque, a Gurdwara, yeah. a Buddhist temple, that sort yeah. of thing. And uh, I saw that what was happening because the experiential learning element of not just hearing about it in class and reading it from a textbook, yeah. but hear from them in their context. Mm -hmm. Let's hear from an imam mm -hmm. and what did, how does he explain his tradition rather mm -hmm. than somebody writing about it. Right. And then come back and reflect on that assignment and say, okay, why is it what I'm learning from a person is different from what I'm learning from a book? Mm -hmm. Then, uh, so I took that, what I was observing from that experience, and I said, well, why don't we take them into the urban core then? Let's get them outside of Peterborough mm -hmm. and take them back into Toronto and say, okay, what subcultures are you seeing here? Uh, not just ethnicities, and there's both, mm -hmm. but where are the gaps that the church is not reaching? Right. Who are the people groups that the church doesn't relate to and hasn't, shall we say, missionized mm -hmm. or hasn't um, crossed into someone's cultural context so that they can communicate the gospel in a way those people will understand. Right. Rather than making them come into our context, show up at our church and figure it out. Mm -hmm. Why can't we go to them? And I said, people aren't coming to the church anyways. Mm -hmm. We have to go to where they are and sort of uh, incarnate ourselves into their missional context, right. cultural context, and say... We all have to go to Pickle Light. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all have we, to go... We where, all have to get out of our yeah. our context and get rattled a little bit. Yeah. Talk to real people. Yeah. Don't read a book on urban culture. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good to do. I'm not against that. Obviously, yeah. I've done education, right? But it didn't fully prepare me. Yeah. What what really got through to me was talking to people. Yeah. And getting into their context. See how do they live? Uh, what are their realities? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are their values? What are they trying to get out and say? How does the gospel touch that? Because mm -hmm. I don't know how it does. Because that's 
not something my culture's taught me yet. Mm. And so when you do that, you begin to realize Jesus can incarnate himself in any cultural context. See, there still is part of you that is that high school kid that doesn't want to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I've been in school all my life and I can't, I can't get away from it. But yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. no, I mean, you, you're actually seeing the value of education. Yes. It has to be... The, the orthodoxy has to be wed to the orthopraxy, right? Exactly. There has to be... Uh, There's theory and practice. Yeah, yeah. And if we don't get mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. then, well, it can be interesting if you like... Yeah, you can't stay in the theoretical. No. Somebody has to figure out, how do you make that work? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you can really understand it until you uh, engage the culture. Mm-hmm. Which is why we then changed our program to cultural engagement, not crossing cultures, but cultural yeah. engagement. What is it we're really trying to accomplish here? Yeah. We don't want to just figure out how to enter into their cultural context so we can live amongst them. We want to engage that. Yeah. Right? And it's not until then that you begin to understand how what the gospel was supposed to mean for them. Mm. So yeah. talk to me about, I mean... Um, I don't know what the current enrollment of, of uh, the college here is. Uh, I don't either. You don't either? No, we've it, got online kinda, students. We've yeah. got hybrids where sometimes they're in class, yeah. uh, but they're doing it through... But un under 100, right? On campus, yeah. Yeah, on campus. Yeah, on and campus, then yeah. others that are, are in other... Uh, so, okay, so um, as you're um, engaged uh, with the lives of students, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, um, guys our age um, interacting with people that are 40 years younger. Yeah. Um, there, there is a, uh, a sense in which uh, even to have a relationship, you're going to Pickle Lake, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're learning um, how to uh, um, understand their culture, yeah. their values. And uh, so what are some things that you've observed? Uh, you know, you have students that come here. Um, some come from tiny little towns and, yeah, and, and right. grew up on a farm or sure. some grew up, you know, downtown Toronto and some rural maybe, Newfoundland, rural Newfoundland yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and some global students. And, and uh, so talk to me a bit about, about some of your students and and what it's like to uh, walk alongside them and and uh, watching the light come on. Yeah. Um, what you learn from them, uh, you know, so maybe uh, maybe there's uh, two or three stories of students that you know just sure. kind of like, that's why I'm here. This is, mm. you know, that uh, watching their lives unfold. Talk a bit about that. Mm. Talk about the students. I, I'm impressed by this generation. Mm -hmm. They've, every generation's different. I'm old enough to have seen a number of them. Yep. Uh, this generation uh, is more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. They're more open to diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to do something for Christ that hasn't been done before. And they're willing to step out and do it, but they don't do it. 
they don't want to do it without mentoring, without mm -hmm. someone that walks alongside them. Mm -hmm. This is where a lot of pastors our age don't get it. They think, just launch them out, just go. Yeah. Just go do it. Because that's what we had to do. Yeah, we had to do. We had no choice. Yeah. But there's the students now are saying, show me. They don't, they're not looking for the best theology. They, they want to know truth, but they want to know how does it work? Mm -hmm. What is it like to be filled with the Spirit and hear the Spirit's voice and get directed to mm -hmm. do things? Show me how to do that. Uh, walk alongside me. And I really love that. I love walking alongside with the students. Mm -hmm. When we go downtown Toronto, um, we walk the streets. Mm -hmm. We're not in some tourist van yeah. looking around. <laughs> the double decker. We're walking the streets with people who are there. They live their lives and do their ministry in that urban core. They're walking with them and talking with them and, and, yeah. and engaging. That's really important to this generation. They, they want, they're tired of people who espouse all the things that are right, but never know how to do it. They want to see people who are filled with the Spirit and how does that work in your life. Yeah. They want to see people who can engage other cultures and say, okay, show me how you did that. Mm -hmm. What are the things I need to know to be sensitive there and, and so mm -hmm. forth. So going downtown Toronto, and, and we also go to the Dominican. I take all the first-year students mm -hmm. to the Dominican for 10 days every January. It's a hard thing to do, but... Um, yeah, uh, but the idea is it, it's not a missions trip. It's to experience how to cross into someone else's cultural context. And we, I have a leadership team, and we walk with those students through the experience of crossing into the cultural context there so that they can learn from that and use it in any context yeah. here, right? So I think this generation is really unique and they want to do something that's different. So many students now talk about they don't want to, they don't want to just be pastors in mm -hmm. the church that exists. Right. Uh, some of them just want to do something that gets them into the, the society that they have a heart and burden for. Yeah. Let's become more missional. There's so many students that just want to reach people for Jesus Christ. Yeah. And how, how are we going to do that? Because asking people to come to church isn't working. Right. Doing a great program and a great music performance isn't cutting it. They got better out there. Why would they bother coming to the church for that? So all the old strategies aren't appealing to their generation. In fact, Christianity is a, has a bad taste in people's yeah. mouths. So how do we express Christianity to people in this cultural context in Canada, let alone globally? Um, they want to know how you do that, and they want to watch you do it. Yeah. Right? So I know you're not supposed to have favorites. Okay, so, as a... But... Well... Um, are there, uh, you know, is there any uh, stories of students that, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, they just... Uh, they, they, they're on your trophy shelf. Though. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's one that stands out in particular. Her name's Amy Heyer. Yeah, I know Amy. You know Amy? Yeah. And she grew up, uh, well, we met her family. They were part of our staff up in Pickle Lake. Hmm. 
And uh, so as a, I knew her from when she was two years old. And she, they ended up going to, um, was West Africa, Angola. Hmm. And so she did a lot of her growing up in Angola. And when her parents came back to Canada, you know, seven or eight years later, uh, she went back as a missionary all by herself. And she would capture wild horses or buy horses and train them. She's kind of a horse whisperer. Wow. And she's got an amazing talent for training, breaking training horses. And she did that and then she would sell the horses and support her mission work through that. <laughs> I mean, how creative is that? Yeah. So she comes with that. And then she did that for a, a number of years. And then she comes back to Canada and says, I need more training. So she came back to Bible school here. And one of my students, she graduated, what, two years ago. And she's now set up a horse ranch outside of Peterborough that is sort of like a mental health ministry. Which wow. he takes adults or kids. Equine therapy. Uh, yeah, it's not just horses. She's got a couple of cows and a few other things, but mm -hmm. it's sort of like animal therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whatever the, the person relates best to, that's what they're drawn to. And she, yep. she helps them build a relationship sort of with those animals. But in so doing, um, provide therapy and share the gospel as she builds relationships. This is the real key that I see as different is the building of relationships with people so you win the right to speak to them about Jesus Christ yeah. is different from what we used to do where we just stood up and preached at people. Well, we had missionaries in foreign fields, right? Yep. And many of them understood that. Yeah. They learned that. Yeah. They went like you going to pickle. When you're the minority, you start to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't get away with this. Right. Stuff. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, are, there, are there missionaries uh, in history that were uh, colonizers? Uh, you know, I mean, in that negative sense, yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. But I think there's probably an awful lot of missionaries who um, they were there to learning culture and, yeah. and to earn the right yeah. and, and find the language, find the way to be a messenger of, of yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. So another uh, student is Heather Laquan and yeah. she go, she went up to Thunder Bay. Yeah. She thought she was going to the Arctic and she's a good, good old Newfoundlander. Yeah. Just sweet. What a sweetheart. But God spoke to her about indigenous people. And so she went to Thunder Bay and she's working on her master's in counseling, I believe. Mm -hmm. But she began to work with Northwind's ministry up there. And uh, she is, she started out just building relationships with families that are in Thunder Bay, indigenous people yeah. there. And she is so effective that they started flying her into reserves mm -hmm. in the north when there is family crisis going on. Mm. And she begins to, she, she has this unique way of just putting people at ease. She's got that yeah. sense of humor and yet that huge caring heart, but she's not stupid. Yeah, Like she knows when to step in and when to speak yeah. and when not to speak and so forth. And she's really fit in and it seems that the indigenous people are really responding to her and get that she's mm. not indigenous, but she gets them. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for is people who can go into another cultural context 
and engage to the point where the people say, okay, now you, you get us. Yeah. You're not us, but you understand what we're, what our issues are. Now we'll listen. Yeah. yeah. And they're listening to her and she's helping families and youth in crisis and kids. Like mm-hmm. she works with the full scope of it in a way that's not like she's in charge, mm-hmm. but she's um, strengthening, bringing, bringing hope and strength and, and all of that. And I'm, I'm amazed at what she's doing these days. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking for. You, got, you, David Burke, he's down, yeah. another one of my graduates, right? Yeah. He, he's down in um, is it, um, Ryerson. Yeah, Ryerson is just in the midst of changing its name. Yes. Uh, yeah, for some reason. Trying to get away <laughs> from that uh, colonial colonial. Past, yeah, right? I mean, Ryerson was, was a Christian. Yes, yeah. believed in education. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing is, Ryerson helped the um, Ojibwe. Yeah. In uh, Mississauga. The, Mississauga, Ojibwe, yeah. in, on Six Nations Reserve, to set up their own school system that was run by indigenous people themselves. Yeah. But people don't know that part of his history because yeah. so much of what he did was so colonial yeah. in mentality. But there was one kind of interesting, intriguing uh, offshoot of that. But yeah, so David is down at Ryerson, whatever they're going to call that now. Mm-hmm. And he's working with uh, university students from all kinds of backgrounds. And mm-hmm. he's not set up a traditional church. Yeah. This is the thing. This generation wants to see how can the church be expressed in our culture so that it doesn't sound like the church that has been there in the past that yeah. people are offended at. Right. Uh, yeah, and David's doing a great job. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, in, in my sort of foray into urban ministry and, and looking at it on a broader scale, um, Steve Pike uh, from uh, Denver uh, yeah. taught taught me something about uh, the uh, HD, um, not high definition, but uh, the three HD. Uh, the first is um, high density. That urban is high density. It's when you have uh, a, more people per per square kilometer than mm-hmm. than you would in a, a suburb or a, a, a rural, you know, yeah. so uh, high density. And then he talks about high diversity, that yes. when you are in an urban context, um, you have much more exposure to a diversity of cultures. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the third D um, is high disparity, yeah. where, you know, the... Uh, um, the 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 Maserati and the shopping cart filled with tin cans, um, yeah. you know, are bumper to bumper. Yeah, you know, there's there's that one neighborhood's affluent, the next neighborhood is. Yeah, and they're right right on top of each other. Yeah, you know, and uh, so, um, I'm being in in Peterborough uh, the last couple days, you know, I've um, uh, once again reflected on how different Peterborough was in 1980 when I first came here. Yeah. Or 1978 for you. Very white, very old. Yep. White, old. Uh, you know, it was a, uh, a, uh, just a stately little town city. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but today 
Uh, let's talk about the urbanization of Peterborough and uh, what's what are the realities that you see in Peterborough today in terms of the uh, HDs, mm-hmm. you know, in terms yeah. of um, just, uh, you know, the, this is, this is not, this is not grandma's city anymore. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is what the churches are really trying to grapple with because our churches still tend to be grandma's church. Grandma's church. But, uh, yeah, so you have, uh, the city is now, what, close to 90,000? Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't that when we were here. No. Um, it, it used to be white and Anglo and old. Uh, it used to have the pretty close to the highest demographic uh, of people over 80 mm-hmm. in this town, right? Uh, a lot of that has changed, and part of it's because of the university and some colleges here, but uh, I think people have been forced out of Toronto with the cost of housing, mm-hmm. and people have started to buy in Peterborough a lot more, so you find there's lots of subdivisions springing up and, and growth happening here, and mo- a lot of that growth is diverse. It, mm-hmm. it is religiously and culturally diverse, so you, you've got a good mix of restaurants and that it, it's a little bit of evidence that yeah. there's got to be some new diversity showing up here. Mm-hmm. So uh, used to be the, the strongest um, other culture in town would have been indigenous because the indigenous population surrounding here. Right. Currently. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's certainly grown from that. Uh, economic diversity in, in Peterborough is the biggest thing that you'll notice though. It's not just young and multicultural, but it is becoming very clear the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the church is really starting to grapple with that one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Tent City, you have that every once in a while in the parks, and then they shut it down. Yep. Um, there's been conflict within uh, between police and people on in street cultures and that. But uh, the city is really interested in trying to do something about that. And there there's uh, new projects starting to spring up, like uh, the tiny house projects, where you can have small homes that'll house people who yeah. are homeless and that. Yeah. So they're trying to get really creative here in the, in the city. And so you have someone like Scott Cooper. Yeah. You know, Scott Cooper's. You have a, a relationship with yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott was my pastor for 10 years at Northview Church here yeah. in town. And I knew him from way back because he was in Kitchener for a while. And yeah. he did mission stuff over in Uzbekistan and some of those places. So he certainly traveled and, and engaged other cultures. But when he was pastoring here, uh, a, a great deal of his ministry was focusing on people outside the church, and he was good for that. Mm-hmm. But he hadn't looked at the economic di- uh, disparity. Right. And when he finished it, 10 years, he thought, you know, I, I had this conversation with him where he said, you know, I, I feel like I'm done. I, I don't, I'm not going to take this congregation further. And so he resigns. But he doesn't move out of town. He didn't pick another opportunity. And he's, we had this conversation one day. We were sitting in his garage. We had this conversation where we said, 
what's going on? He's, he's trying to figure out what is it God's trying to do with them because he's out of a job and he's sitting in his home and he doesn't feel like he's supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. And I just got chatting with him and we kind of came up with this idea. Maybe God's not done with you here. Mm. <laughs> he started thinking about that. And Ain't that the truth. <laughs> I said, have you looked at Mission Canada? Yeah. With the Pentecostal Assemblies. They want, in a sense, we want to plant missionaries in our urban contexts. Mm-hmm. And I know that word missionary is problematic, but we want to incarnate people into cultural contexts where the church hasn't been working. Yeah. And he got thinking about that and he started, I guess, approaching Mission Canada, yeah. developing this idea. And he's now um, uh, street advocate. He started a street ministry level called advocacy. Street Level Advocacy yeah. for people who are on the streets in Peterborough yeah. and building a relationship between them and the police community because yeah. he's also the chaplain of the police. Yeah. And he rides a bike. Yeah. He, he's just a real down to earth guy. Yeah. And he walks the streets mm-hmm. and he engages people and he talks to them, gets to know them, and starts helping them and seeing. Okay, what do you really need? There's a service agency over here who might be able to help you or whatever. It puts them in contact. Yeah. But when there's conflict, the police know they can call him. Mm. And he can come and kind of de-escalate the situation because he also knows people that are on the streets. Mm-hmm. Built relationship with them. He says, here's the, here's the real issue. And the cops can just settle down a little bit. Theologically, he's like the paraclete. Right. Mm, the one that comes alongside. The one that comes alongside. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so Spirit that's what led. he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And unbelievable the the things that are emerging out of that. Yeah. And we have yet to see where that's going. But the people in his church were, well, why didn't you stay and be our pastor? Why did you quit? <laughs> yeah. And basically he's saying, I think God needed us to reach this people group. Yeah. And we couldn't do it. Yeah. The way we yeah. Right. If you gotta run programs and have a board, and it's not about programs. No. It's about relationships. Yeah. It's getting into that community, you know? yeah. and that's really what we're about in this college: is training students to do that kind of thing. Get yourself into someone else's cultural context and embed yourself yeah. until you know how the gospel has something to offer here, and you can speak their language. Do you feel like God is doing something fresh in Peterborough? Um, yeah, Scott would be a, a part of that. Part of that, yeah. Well, what else is yeah, happening in, that you're seeing in, in Peterborough among, yeah, um, you know, the, the that church, you know? Well, the church, I think, in Peterborough has, over the years, you know, had a heart for the city. Mm-hmm. And they've tried various things, food banks and clothing yeah. outlets and so forth. But I see that... Uh, different generation began to rise up, mm-hmm. I don't know, in the last uh, five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. A generation of people that don't care what denomination you belong to, we're gonna do this cross-denominationally yeah. together, yeah. and they're getting out onto the streets and they're just talking about Jesus Christ to people. Yeah. And they're taking our students and saying, hey, come with us. Yeah. Let's get out on the streets. Let's just talk to people. Yeah. It reminds me of Jesus walking through through the streets and sees yeah. Zacchaeus sitting yeah. up on a, in a tree there. Yeah. Hey, let's go have coffee. That uh, there is there's something going on. Uh, they get together. 
the sort of the young adults of this community are gathering together again interdenominationally mm -hmm. they just gather together probably once a month or more and they just have worship and prayer events mm -hmm. and it's powerful and out of that is coming a missional heart for their own city. And I haven't really seen that. It's usually some professional or some pastor. Yeah. Or it's, you know. This is grassroots. Some, this is yeah. grassroots. It's, it's emerging out of the churches. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. We didn't grow up with that. No. You know, that's something that God's doing in this generation that I'm excited about. Because mm. they're going to do stuff we've never seen before. Mm. And I love that. I'm open. Well, Graham, um, uh, just want to maybe uh, wrap up with uh, with one more question, uh, and uh, you know, um, the the question I would ask is, uh, you know, if if you had, um, if you could, ten x your efforts, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the things that mattered to you, what would, what would you do if if you had the the time, the the money, the people, uh, the uh, the the open doors. You know, if you if you could if you could ratchet it up and uh, be. Now I know I know you can't afford to be ten times busier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But well, maybe. Yeah. But if you were ten times smarter. That would maybe, be nice. <laughs> what would it look? What 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 do you? What's the dream? What's, the dream? what's your dream? And uh, you know, because I mean, God's not limited by our age. Yeah. You know, He waits until eighty years old to get some guys started. Yeah, you know, and we're not there. So we, uh, we got not yet. not not there yet. So what what? You got a dream? Or or the dream that you're in? Yeah. You know what would what would go yeah. go go beyond your life to what yeah. what what would you what's the legacy what are you what are you shooting for? I guess my dream is for a generation of a generation beyond, yeah. maybe a trajectory better than a generation, a trajectory for the church where it's re discovers its missional passion. passion. And it begins to realize that the Church of Jesus Christ is for those who aren't in the church yet. They're not in the family, and they don't know why they should be. I want a generation of people to emerge, leaders to emerge, who will start motivating not, in, in, not individuals, but movements. Of people who will go out outside the church mm -hmm. to where people are yeah. and not be attractional saying you know you have to get them into the church so they can hear the gospel but yeah. being uh, incarnational let's get our believers into where non-believers are yeah. and um, I just think we would start making inroads into all kinds of corners of Canada never really if we change that mentality. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think, 
I love the church. The church of Jesus Christ is his bride, and we should never badmouth the church. I'm not sure that the cultural expression of the church that we've developed um, is doing the job it should be doing. She might need some new clothes. Yeah. Okay. She might need a mindset change. Yeah. But I'm looking for a generation that's much more spirit-filled and spirit-led and missionally minded because I think we'll start to see a little more of what the early church was able to see. And I don't mean that we have to be the early church. I'm just saying the church should not have changed who it is. Yeah. And stop being complacent like we got it figured out here. Yeah. Let's learn from other peoples and let the diversity of voices, the diversity of worldview and culture begin to shape who we are instead of us always shaping them. And maybe we'll be a much more rich and uh, uh, healthy church from it. I guess that's kind of where I'm going. I want to to pour myself into the leaders of the next generation. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so so we need to to be one, yeah. you know, be one, bingo. Be one. <laughs> we need to be one ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, Graham. Appreciate this. Great, great having this conversation. Thank you. You're a good friend, Kevin. Thanks. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Graham Gibson at Masters College and Seminary in the city of Peterborough, Ontario. On our next episode, I'm going to interview Todd Carlton. Uh, Todd Carlton is a firefighter, and uh, he would tell you that uh, he's a a full-time minister and a part-time firefighter, even though the hours actually are flipped the other way. And... uh, He uh, is involved in an organization called Disciple a City. Disciple a City is committed to sharing the gospel in urban contexts. And uh, this is going to be an exciting episode as you get to hear about his own journey to faith and how the Lord got a hold of him. And uh, then just some of the the ways that uh, he is experiencing got at work in the streets of Peterborough. So uh, please come back and catch our next episode. Until then, you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Keep coming back for more.